I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life throughout the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Well, in our house, the big news is that uh, school is out. Uh, I, I don't know if you are experiencing a similar thing. A couple of schools in our area have to make up for some snow days, but not ours. No, not ours. We are officially out, and uh, that gives uh, some people a little bit of anxiety, maybe a little bit of uh, pause of what am I going to do with uh, these children who are now around me all day long, every day. And if if that's you, if you're a little bit worried, then today's show is uh, is for you. Uh, because we're talking a little bit, uh, in continuation of what we talked about last week, we're talking a little bit about how we disciple our children. Uh, now that they're home and they're with us all day long, we have to figure out what to do with them. And uh, and this can be a time of, of new beginning and of resetting. Uh, we're using it as a reset. We're, we're creating, we created, we have created. We'll see how well it goes. Ask me next week. Uh, we've created a, a summer schedule Uh, You know, most of the time you think of summer is the time that you don't set alarms and everybody gets to sleep in and it's just super lazy and everybody just relaxes a little bit. But we're actually taking a a chance this year and we're upping our game just a little bit. Um, We've I've talked on the show many times before of the various practices that we do with the faith uh, and they have been kind of hit and miss. We'll do a, a couple of weeks of a family rosary and then a couple of weeks down the road, maybe we'll do a couple of weeks of Compline at night. And uh, so this this year, starting in the summer, we're going to do our family rosary in the morning. Uh, when we wake up, we're going to get together. We're going to pray our family rosary before we do the rest of the day. Uh, once a week, we're going to pray that family rosary. And this is really ambitious. So uh, I'm telling you on air so that you can ask me on Twitter, hey, how are you doing with that? And I'm going to say, oh, we're doing great because we're going to do great. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm confident, uh, as, as we always are at the beginning of new resolutions. So once a week, we're going to go and we're going to pray that family rosary in front of the Blessed Sacrament as a family, because it's always hard to find that time uh, during the school year. When are we going to make it to our adoration time? So we're going to do it in the mornings over the summer. And, and if it goes well, we'll continue throughout the school year. Uh, and then new thing. This is new to us. Some of you have been doing this for a long time. Uh, when noon rolls around, we're going to pray the Angelus together. Uh, the, the bell's going to go off. The alarm's going to go off on the phone and we're all going to stop where we are. Uh, and we're going to pray the Angelus. And then at night we're picking up Compline and we're doing it not, uh, in spurts, but we're doing it every single night. Uh, even when it's inconvenient, kind of like it was last night. Uh, but you know what? It's worth that practice, specifically because summer can just become oh, a free-for-all. It, it can be that kind of time where uh, our time disappears, and we, we never get that time back. And so now, because we have them all day long, we're, we're putting some extra intentionality into creating a, a framework and a structure for them uh, and for, for us as parents in this life of faith. What are some specific practices that we can do that are simple enough that don't take much preparation? They only take the discipline to sit down and do. Uh, and, and then we're taking those and we're 
kind of piling on. We've done each of these devotions over time, except for the Angelus. Uh, and so now we're just doing them all at their designated times. Uh, th- that's one of the things that I love about some of these Catholic devotions that, that we're talking about here is that you don't really know, you don't really have to know how to do it, right? You don't have to know how to pray the rosary um, to start off with. There are lots of resources out there. We use a, the little blue book of the scriptural rosary that that whatever mystery you're on, there's a, a little uh, interlude between each Hail Mary where there's a single line from scripture about that mystery to help kind of recenter you and help you think about that mystery. So it's not just repetition, but you actually begin to meditate on those mysteries. Uh, And so you don't have to know anything. You've got that little book. Uh, When we first started praying the rosary, we found a similar thing uh, on a website. I don't even remember which one it is now. But the resources are out there, uh, either for a small fee or if you find it on the internet for free, that you don't have to know anything special, right? You can pull that up and use that resource and pray it together. Uh, with with Compline, you don't have to know anything special. You can pull, there's a smartphone apps, there's all kinds of different things that you can do uh, to engage in that practice without any special knowledge whatsoever, uh, and so I encourage you, maybe you're not going to, you know, go off the, the deep end like we are trying to do this summer, but I encourage you to find some devotion, some practice of faith that is above and beyond your normal uh, routine and to add it in this summer with your children to, uh, to give them one extra thing in addition to all the free time and the playing out in the sun and the whatever else that they're going to do. Give them one extra taste of the joy of devotion. The one last thing that we're doing is we're, we're giving our, our older kids uh, the Rise Up, Shining with Virtue, virtue-based devotional. We talked with Jenna Gizar last week from Blessed Is She about that. I still have one copy to give away. We're going to give that away uh, this coming Wednesday. Uh, the way that you can get in on that drawing so that you can receive this book, you can win this book, is by going onto Twitter and telling us the funniest thing that you can recall your children having said about the faith. And in that tweet, go ahead and mention at blessed is she underscore underscore and mention at outside the walls. And on Wednesday, we're going to look through all of those entries and select a winner uh, and give you this book as well so that you can walk through this with your children uh, over the summer, help them grow in virtue, help them be formed as a disciple of Jesus Christ who reflects the glory of God in the way that they live their lives. When we come back, we're going to be talking today with Jonathan F. Sullivan. He's the director of parish ministries, services, and catechesis for the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana. We're going to be talking about his series, Building a Better Disciple. He did this great webinar. It's available for free to you at buildingabetterdisciple.tumblr.com, along with the videos and all the resources you need to go through it. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't forget to tweet to us to sign up for that giveaway. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Jonathan F. Sullivan. Uh, he's the, the Director of Parish Ministries, uh, Services, and Catechesis for the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana. Uh, and and I've followed Jonathan on Twitter for some time, and and. Honestly, I got to the point where I didn't know whether or not I had interviewed him, and uh, <laughs> something had had come up that we were uh, mutually discussing. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back. I looked through my archives, and lo and behold, I'd not yet talked to you, Jonathan. So thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. So one of the things that um, that is kind of filling up the news lately, the USCCB has been meeting this last week. Uh, at least it's filling up my Twitter feed. <laughs> Uh, and and they're, they're, they've discussed a little bit this week some of the statistics that uh, that I've I've been dealing with, and I'm sure in your position you've been dealing with as well. Uh, yeah. And that's the rise, what's typically called the rise of the nuns. Uh, yeah. Those people who, uh, when asked what their religious affiliation are, check none, uh, and not, not N U N, but rather N O N E, uh, and so. These statistics come from reputable places like uh, Pew, like the Gallup polls, like um, the uh, CARA, which is the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, which uh, is at Georgetown and has done some fantastic demographic uh, and sociological studies. Uh, and, and so the studies are are saying that around one out of six millennials in the U.S. is a former Catholic. Uh, for every one person joining, like I did back in 2011, uh, 6.45 people are leaving the church, uh, and and they are leaving. 79% are leaving before they turn the age of 23, with the median age of those who leave being the age of 13. And so this is a, a, a systemic problem. It's all across the board. It's not in any one place or location in the United States. Uh, it, it's broadly distributed. So we see that there's something more than just uh, an individual event that is, that's the cause of this. You know, the, the scary statistic that I've seen that, that worries me kind of the most for the future is in the past oh, 15, 20 years, we've seen a 40% drop in the number of church weddings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just speaks to me. Those are the people who've disengaged. Those are the people who aren't going to be bringing their children in to be baptized, aren't going to be bringing their kids to religious education and receiving sacraments. Uh, you know, that's that's the trajectory that we see in the future. Well, and something that I noticed in, in I believe it was the the CARA research, was that the the rate of baptism is already going below the rate of, of disaffiliation. So even people who are currently uh, connected to the church and saying that they are Catholic when asked, um, they're still not approaching the church for the sacraments for their infants. Yeah, you know, it's a big problem that we have in, in terms of how do we reach those people? How do we help them to reclaim uh, the faith that they presumably once had, the faith they were baptized into? In part, is they're going to be judged a lot more harshly. I was just in a presentation with Dr. Ralph Martin from Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit, uh, and he pointed out, you know, the Catechism says that those those who have been baptized into the faith, even they're in, if they're in the pews on Sunday, if they don't have a deep abiding faith in Jesus Christ. They're going to be judged all the more harshly for being just physically present, but without having opened their their hearts and being spiritually present. And so this is uh, the perfect segue then, um, mm-hmm. because what we have been doing uh, over the last however many years 
uh, is apparently no longer working in the societal context that we find ourselves in. Uh, what th- those those things that were successful um, seventy years ago to to bring some along in the faith uh, are no longer effective. And and I as I look at it and as I've read and studied and and kind of seen what other people are saying, it, it seems to me that there was a culture uh, of how we do the faith that was very present in our communities. A lot of these were immigrant communities that were banding together and doing things and doing life together. Uh, that um, that as that faded away, as the, we began to be a, a more uh, transitory society and a little bit more uh, uh, overscheduled perhaps uh, with other things outside of our religious communities, uh, however that happened, we didn't change the way we did our religious education. Um, and so there's this huge component of what it meant to be uh, educated in the faith, that communal aspect of it. As it disappeared, we did nothing to change the academic uh, and, and what they received at religious education. So it's really become the, the word catechesis is now kind of synonymous with, oh, that's the way we uh, academically educate our children in the faith. And that's not historically what catechesis is at all. Uh, you've recently done a, um, a webinar series called Building a Better Disciple, uh, which you can find through your website, jonathanfsullivan.com. I just wanted to kind of engage with you a little bit on, on that topic and talk about what is discipleship and how do we pass that on to our children and even to those peers of ours and ourselves uh, in this day and age. Yeah, you know, and I think that's the crucial question that we're wrestling with right now in the church is, what does it mean to really form someone as a disciple? Not just, as you said, that kind of academic doctrinal knowledge, which I think you hit it right on the head. Back when there was much more of a culture of faith around our parishes, around our communities, what young people needed was the doctrine, because their parents weren't experts in that, and they weren't, you know, going through the catechism at home necessarily. So to do that in the parish setting, in the Catholic school setting, was supplementing what was already being done in the family and the community in terms of regular devotional prayer, uh, coming together and sharing meals, prayers at bedtime, gathering at the parish for different social events. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did my graduate work in St. Louis. At least back in the early uh, 2000s, they still had a parish bowling alley. They built kind of in the heyday of the parish as a place where people could come and just have fellowship with one another around bowling. but we don't have that in our parishes anymore. But like you said, we haven't adapted our catechesis to meet that need, that we're not getting the fellowship, we're not getting the instruction, not just in, in memorizing the prayers, but in forming people to actually learn how to pray, how to be in communion with God. So yeah, part of the point of that whole webinar series was to say, all right, let's take stock of what it means to be a disciple. What does a disciple look like? What do they do? How do they engage with other people? And how do we go about forming ourselves and others in that vision? That webinar, again, is Building a Better Disciple by today's guest, Jonathan F. Sullivan. You can get to it by going to buildingabetterdisciple.tumblr.com. That's T-U-M-B-L-R.com. There you'll find the videos as well as all the session notes. What, what I look at is I look at the, how, what does it look like to form ourselves in this vision? I think first and foremost is the, the knowledge that, that the faith is not meant to be a, a merely personal academic pursuit, that uh, the things that you mentioned there are 
intensely community centered and and have this realization that we are doing the faith together and you look at even um, Jesus walking with the first disciples and there was very much a sense of not oh well I have my relationship with Jesus and you have your relationship with Jesus but hey we are on the road together doing life together experiencing the faith together yeah I often point out to people when I talk about church history that you know the the early Christians were already praying and worshiping before they figured out all the doctrine. Mm-hmm. It took several centuries of wrestling with who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, you know, the different councils that came together to answer all those various heresies that arose around Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit and whatnot. That all happened centuries after the church had already had the experience of Jesus Christ. They were already gathering together for Sunday worship and praying before they figured out what exactly they meant by some of those prayers. But it was that lived experience of, of fellowship together you know, I often go back to Acts 2.42, which talks about uh, you know, the, the doctrine, the teaching of the apostles, but also fellowship, also prayer, the breaking of the bread, which we would say is the mass and the sacraments. Mm-hmm. All of that serves to ground the life of a disciple, not just the head knowledge. Uh, I, I, I really like the work that uh, uh, a Reformed thinker uh, named James Smith has done. It's a great metaphor where he says, Christian life is kind of like a play. You know, you don't understand Hamlet until you see it performed. It's one thing to know the words. It's another thing to see it lived. Christianity is that way. It's not meant to just be on the page. It's meant to be a living expression of our faith. You mentioned that they were praying together long before they figured out the doctrines. And that brings to mind that phrase, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The law of our prayer is the law of our belief, is the law of our life. And so that prayer always infuses and really informs the rest of the life that we live. So the, the question is, how do we, uh, who, are, who are in the pews every week, who are trying to raise our kids and to, to keep them in the church, uh, how do we first engage that community, specifically if we're in a place where that's not um, already in motion? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's ways we can do that even outside the parish setting. I think there's even a benefit to doing some of this work outside of the parish setting. I think too often we expect that people are going to come to the parish and go to a workshop or do a retreat uh, you know, on the parish, something like that. But my fear is sometimes we get the sense then that faith only happens at the parish. And if we're not on the parish grounds and when we don't have responsibility for living out our faith. One practice my wife and I have been doing, uh, which we actually learned some from friends when we lived in Illinois, is uh, to just have some over for a potluck on a Saturday evening, you know, share a meal, and then pray the rosary afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, and just do kind of a rosary potluck. And the kids running around and they're screaming and, you know, not paying attention. But every once in a while they'll sit down and maybe stay for a decade for the rosary. But I'm almost less concerned about the, sort of the little, little ones really participating in the prayers, which is them seeing adults praying. Right. Them seeing other Christian disciples coming together and having this time of fellowship and prayer. And they're going to be formed in that as they see that on a regular basis. That it's not just you know my weird parents who do this stuff. <laughs> right. They're getting a model of other adults living the faith, and it just becomes normative. Well, and more than that, so more than they see adults living the faith, which which is important, but they see adults living in community together. They they specifically in how uh, how disconnected our world is today in terms of of person-to-person incarnational relationship. Um, it's, yeah. I, I think they need to see, hey, adults take the time, uh, put the priority on getting their families together in a chaotic, 
uh, place <laughs> and and engaging with other adults in a communal setting. Uh, that even just that, without adding in the extra aspects of faith, which are which are essential to the Christian life, mm-hmm. but even just that part, I think, is important in the in the formation of of children in this day and age. Yeah, just rubbing shoulders with other Christians is going to make us better Christians. Mm-hmm. Because wherever two or three are gathered, we know there Jesus is with us. And so just having that fellowship, that's why I think, you know, one of the best outreaches that we haven't utilized uh, in our parishes is the parish festival or the parish picnic. To not just invite parishioners to those things, but invite the whole surrounding community. You know, a parish isn't just made up of the Catholics within the borders of the parish. A parish is meant to be a center for the entire community. A pastor has... Uh, is the shepherd of souls for everyone in his parish, not just those people who come to Mass on Sunday. So invite the whole community in to see what these Catholics are all about. You know, maybe even do a church tour during the parish picnic and say, hey, if you've never been inside a Catholic church before, I'm going to show you what's in here and what all the different aspects are. Have the vestments laid out. Have uh, the patent and chalice laid out. Talk about, here's how we worship the Lord. Here's how we understand our church coming together for this expression of faith. Yeah. We're talking today with Jonathan F. Sullivan. He's the director of parish ministries, services, and catechesis for the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana. He's uh, got this great webinar that you can go and watch and participate in called Building a Better Disciple. It's available to you free on his website, buildingabetterdisciple.tumblr.com. You can watch all the videos and get all the session notes while you're at it. It's like you were there the first time. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's more to this conversation right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and today we're talking with Jonathan F. Sullivan. He's the Director of Parish Ministries, Services, and Catechesis for the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana. Uh, I follow him on Twitter. You can, too, at Sully Joe, S-U-L-L-I-J-O, uh, or you can find him on his website, JonathanFSullivan.com, uh, where you can access all of his talks and find out uh, more information about him there. We're talking today about the life of a disciple. Uh, the, he, you've got a webinar series, Jonathan, called Building a Better Disciple. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of feels like the $6 million man, right? We, <laughs> we, we can rebuild him. And, and in some sense, we're in a place in our society where we really need to take a look at the, the current system and, and structures we have in place for catechesis and recognize that like the $6 million man, they are dying on the table and we have to take the time and the energy and the, and the investment to rebuild them. Uh, not because, you know, some people say, oh, well, why are we, why are we changing things? This worked for me, um, and this is how I was raised, and I just want to uh, encourage them and say I'm so glad that that caught you, um, but let's look at the statistics. And statistically, something that used to work is no longer working. So now we need to find out why it's no longer working and then – invest in that. Uh, but one of the, the great things about catechesis is that um, it, it it changes over time. You know, you look at 
Um, you look at even Paul, St. Paul the Apostle, who took uh, his knowledge and his, the way he was raised in the faith, and he adapted it to the people he was talking to. Recently, there was a post um, that I saw about uh, about the missionary efforts of Bishop Blanchett in the Pacific Northwest, who, when he was first in Seattle with the, the Nisqually people, he created what's called uh, the Catholic Ladder, where it was a very visual kind of catechesis uh, that was really uh, centered and, and met that community's needs. And so here we are today, we have a new set of needs for a new uh, generation, a new community. And so what's important is not the program and the structure with which we catechize, but, uh, but really the aims of catechesis. What, what, what's the end result of this thing that we're teaching? Uh, and then whatever framework we use to do that is, is fine, fine and dandy. So during the break, you mentioned a little bit about uh, these, these aims of catechesis. For those who don't know, why don't you uh, tell us what these are and kind of break them down for us? Yeah, so I, kind of the overarching aim of catechesis, I think, is beautifully defined by St. John Paul II in his document on catechesis, where he says it's about putting people not only in touch but in communion and intimacy with Jesus Christ. You know, we always have to situate catechesis within evangelization. The church tells us that catechesis is just one moment in that whole process of being evangelized and being drawn into the relationship with Jesus. Uh, but the, the church also gives us though, a framework for understanding how that happens catechetically. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, the church gives us what they call the six tasks of catechesis that we can be attentive to. Uh, and those are, uh, first of all, promoting knowledge of the faith, liturgical education, moral formation, teaching to pray, and then education for community life and missionary initiation. I think where we sometimes go a little askew is that we replace some of the, pre the later tasks with the doctrinal one. We think that teaching to pray just means teaching the prayers, or we think that liturgical education is just teaching about the liturgy, but it's much deeper than that. The church understands this in a much more practical sense, much more incarnational sense, so that liturgical education isn't about teaching about the liturgy, but it's, it goes back to the Second Vatican Council. It's about helping people to enter into a full, conscious, and active participation in the liturgy. Uh, moral formation isn't about educating about morality. It's about forming a moral person. Mm -hmm. It's about teaching people right and, right and wrong and helping them to live that out in their lives. And this is why, you know, the classroom setting that we've kind of modeled our thesis on decades doesn't work anymore because you can't form a moral person in a classroom you form a moral person in community by interacting with other people for parents it's about discipline about teaching your children right and wrong um, and teaching that that in the classroom so or in the home so it's how we discipline our children it's how we help our children learn to apologize uh learn to forgive one another their siblings things like that uh, my, my kids get really annoyed with me because I won't let them get away with just a perfunctory, I'm sorry, they've, they've hurt one of their siblings. It's, I have to look them in the eye and say why they're sorry for what they did. Uh, and then give a hug, too, because uh, that helps to kind of seal the deal, as it were, for forgiveness. Yeah. So we have to be careful about not mistaking the doctoral education for all those other ones. Uh, communal life, we were talking about earlier, is another good example. You can't teach someone how to live in community. You learn to live in community by being in a community. Right. Uh, so that's, you know, the church sees this ta these tasks of catechesis as much more broad broader than what we can just read out of a book. You know, I, I had, back in the days when I 
was not Catholic and I was in, in, um, in seminary, in the Protestant seminary, one of the things that was kind of the, the discussion du jour was, um, are we doing even seminary education right? Because mm-hmm. w- when Jesus formed the apostles, it was very much on the road. Uh, there was a lived experience of this was not, you know, the moral formation was not taught in the classroom. It was taught by being engaged in one another's life. And even at that level, even at the graduate level, the the, the question was present. Are we doing enough to form our uh, pastors? And, and this was, again, in the Protestant context. I think the Catholic world has picked up on this uh, specifically in the formation that they give to their priests. Uh, but this was a question that we were having. Uh, how do we uh, hand on the academics? Because, yes, it is important that we know these these truths of the faith, but we have to do more than that. We have to be engaged in, in the actual formation of it as well. The Church talks about formation as an apprenticeship. And if you think back to the, the old medieval apprentice and master model, the apprentice would go and live with the master. You know, it wasn't just about teaching skills in the trade, but about entering into the whole life of what this trade would involve through the observation and through gradually being given more and more different tasks. Okay, now you've you've learned to clean brushes. Now you're going to learn how to mix pigments for the paint. Right there. Now I'm going to teach you how to put a canvas on. And so I, I, I agree with you. I sometimes worry that we take seminarians and kind of sequester them away into a seminary and they don't really get to experience what parish life is really like. You know, maybe they'll, they'll get a, a summer internship or something like that. But they don't get to experience that whole rhythm of a parish. They don't get to really experience the rhythm of what it means to be a priest and a pastor in a particular place, to come to love a particular people in a particular parish uh, for a, a significant amount of time, which is what the role of a pastor is, to, to love their people and draw that love out of them towards Jesus. Our guest today is Jonathan F. Sullivan. When you're when you're describing this this form of apprenticeship, uh, and the little bit of a task at a time being added, all, this is this is really bad. But all I can think of is, it's the Mr. Miyagi approach, right? <laughs> we we have to teach them to wax on and wax off, and sometimes those those tasks don't even necessarily make sense until yeah. you get into the broader application. You're like, oh, this is what it was about. Um, and that just shows my age. No, but you're exactly right. And, you know, the church calls the RCIA the model of all catechesis. And you know, when you really read the documents about the RCIA, it really does envision a prolonged period of formation. Uh, national statutes say, you know, a minimum of one year is what catechumen should be engaging in. A lot of our parishes, we kind of reduce that to, you know, seven to nine months on kind of a school year model where they'll start formation in September and then... When Easter comes around, they're ready for the sacraments. Yeah. The church says, no, we need to discern this process. We need to walk with them over a significant amount of time. Are they really progressing in their life of faith? Are they drawing closer to Jesus? Are they involved in the community? And it's only then do we call them forward then to uh, come to the Easter vigil for the sacraments of initiation. Everyone's welcome, but they have to have been formed well first. Well, and, and if you look back to the original catechetical model, there was also a, a great sense of, um, you you know, we, we maybe have picked up the Protestant idea of you come to, to Mass and, and see if it fits you, and then you go to RCIA. Um, the Mass was something that you didn't really even get to become a part of until you were one of the elect. 
Yeah, I, I often say we don't have a lot of on-ramps into the Catholic faith. We, it's kind of mass and that's it. Uh, we don't have other opportunities for us to interact with those seekers. I was having lunch with a pastor a few years ago, and he said something that has stuck with me ever since. He said, I sit up at the front of the church on Sunday Mass, and I can look out, and I can see into my cry room. And my cry room is full, but it's not full of families. It's full of seekers. Mm-hmm. It's full of these people who, they'll come into the cry room. They want to see what's going on in this place, but they're not willing to take a step into the church building yet. And his question was, how do I move them from there into you know a more deeper relationship with the parish and and how do we, what do we do to kind of move them forward in that walk of faith? We need more opportunities for other Christians, you know, the unbaptized, to come and find out what we're about. And yeah, the, the Mass isn't necessarily the right place for that. Sometimes it is. And, and there's wonderful conversion stories of people who've, who've walked into a, a Mass, have never been before, and are just uh, astounded by the beauty of it all uh, and start their journey that way. I think for most other people, though, it's about coming to know and trust another Christian, coming in into a relationship with someone who's in the church and being intrigued by their way of life, being intrigued by their witness in the world. And then coming to find out, well, they do this because of their faith in Jesus. Uh, but we don't have many opportunities for that. We, we need places. I, I've always thought, you know, it'd be really interesting to put in a store, you know, have rent a storefront in a downtown area and just open it up as a place of prayer and wrestling, you know, and, and don't staff it with priests, staff it with some well-trained lay people. But Bill can just, if you just want to come in and talk, uh, if you just want to come in and talk about your journey of faith or find out a little bit more about what us Catholics are about, you know, having those kind of low-pressure, non-threatening opportunities for people to come forth for those conversations. If you're ever in the Diocese of Colorado Springs, at, at the mall in Colorado Springs, there is a, a, a group of Capuchin Franciscans who have a chapel and a storefront in the mall that's constantly staffed. There's always a Franciscan there that, that's there to hear your confession if you want to, or if you just want to go and sit with the Blessed Sacrament, or if you make it there in time for a Mass. It's right there in the middle of the mall, and, and it's been there for like 20 years. Uh, and it's that same kind of, hey, uh, it's an on-ramp of what are these strange people in strange robes doing in the middle of my shopping experience? Yeah, and, you know, and Pope Francis keeps encouraging us to go out into the peripheries, and that's part of what I think he means is going out into the world and living our faith in the world. Uh, you know, another idea, well, you know, you've heard some great stories recently of priests just going to secular concerts or different uh, local festivals and just setting up a sign that says, you know, I'm here for confessions, for conversations, for blessings, whatever you need. And the great stories that come out of that of people who haven't been to church in a while, but, you know, want to come and have confession or just talking about the faith, why are you here? Uh, more opportunities like that to show that we Catholics aren't this threatening thing coming to proselytize and, and beat people down, but we have a positive message to offer. We have positive things to offer. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI said, you know, people know what the church is against. They don't always know what we're for. Yeah. And it's that positive message that's going to draw people to us, not the, the condemnation. We've been talking today with Jonathan F. Sullivan. Find his website, jonathanfsullivan.com. You can also catch this webinar, the Building a Better Disciple. Uh, It's in six parts. You can find it at buildingabetterdisciple.tumblr.com. There's more to my conversation with Jonathan that didn't make it to air, but it's available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. If you go over to outsidethewalls.com, top right-hand corner, click that support the show link. You can get access to this and many, many other extra segments 
Join our ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Let's have a conversation about discipleship. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we talked with Jonathan F. Sullivan. He is the director of Ministries, Services, and Catechesis for the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana. You can find out more about him over at jonathanfsullivan.com. In specific, though, we talked about his, uh, he's got a webinar series called Building a Better Disciple. You can find that webinar series for free as well. You can watch the videos, download the resources, go through the slides, everything you need at buildingabetterdisciple.tumblr.com. Best thing about it, this is not one of those subscription things you have to pay for. You can just go right now uh, to buildingabetterdisciple.tumblr.com and participate in that webinar, uh, the archive of it, for free. If you missed any part of our discussion about discipleship and catechesis, or if you want to share our discussion with your friends and family on social media or beyond, have no fear because all of our episodes are archived right over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just as soon as we finish broadcasting this, you can find it there and share it to your heart's content. As always, there's more to my conversation with Jonathan than we had time to air, and we give an extra segment each and every week to all of those who support the show through Patreon. While you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, if you look up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a little link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. If you click that, it will take you to a page that gives you all the information you need uh, to help support the show, keep us on the air for as little as $5 a month, and get access to uh, weekly extra segments as well as some other fun goodies Uh, So go take a look at that. See if that's something you want to be a part of, if that's a community that you want to join. And lastly, before we move on to our reading from Scripture and Church History today, I want to remind you that we are still giving away the book from that we talked about last week with Jenna Gizar from Blessed Is She, The Rise Up, Shining with Virtue, virtue Virtue-Based Children's Devotional. Uh, It's a great time to use it as we're moving into the summer, and your kids are going to need something to read and really they're, they're going to need some formation. Uh, this is just a fantastic book. I have a copy for my older children, and I want to give you a copy. Uh, the way that you can sign up for that to register for that, um, that drawing is to go over to Twitter and to give a tweet about the funniest thing that your children have said about the faith and make sure that in that tweet you mention at blessed is she underscore underscore and at outside the walls. Uh, and we will enroll you into that drawing. We'll pick from uh, from all of those entries on Wednesday and let you know who is going to receive that book. So now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we even boast of our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance proven character, 
and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. That reading comes from the book of Romans. And this is a a reminder again that what we need in, in discipleship, what we need in our connection to God is more than just knowledge, right? It's more than just knowledge. It is lived experience to the point that even the afflictions that Paul is going through, he says, are to his benefit in faith, are to his benefit because they produce in him virtue, right? They produce, affliction produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. This, this is the picture of the mature disciple, the picture of the disciple who isn't just a person of education, but as a person who lives a lifestyle infused by the strength of the Holy Spirit uh, that can, can appropriate all even the negative things of life into a life uh, that is dedicated and devoted to God the Father. Our reading from church history today is uh, from a treatise on the Lord's Prayer by St. Cyprian. The prayer continues, Your kingdom come. We pray that God's kingdom will become present for us in the same way that we ask for his name to be hallowed among us. For when does God not reign? When could there be in him a beginning of what always was and what will never cease to be? What we pray for is that the kingdom promised to us by God will come, the kingdom won by Christ's blood and passion. Then we, who formerly were slaves in this world, will reign from now on under the dominion of Christ in accordance with his promise, Come, O blessed of my Father, receive the kingdom which was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. However, my dear friends, it could also be that the kingdom of God, whose coming we daily wish for, is Christ himself, since it is his coming that we long for. He is our resurrection, since we rise again in him. So, too, he can be thought of as the kingdom of God because we are able to reign in him. And it is good that we pray for God's kingdom. For though it is a heavenly kingdom, it is also an earthly one. But those who have already renounced the world are made greater by holding positions of authority in that kingdom. After this, we add, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray not that God should do his will, but that we may carry out his will. How could anyone prevent the Lord from doing what he wills? But in our prayer, we ask that God's will be done in us, because the devil throws up obstacles to prevent our mind and our conduct from obeying God in all things. So if his will is to be done in us, we have need of his will, that is, his help and protection. No one can be strong by his own strength or secure, save by God's mercy and forgiveness. Even the Lord, to show the weakness of human nature which he bore, said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then, by the way of giving example to his disciples that they should do God's will and not their own, he added, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. All Christ did. All he taught 
was the will of God. Humility in our daily lives, an unwavering faith, a moral sense of modesty in conversation, justice in acts, mercy in deed, discipline, refusal to harm others, a readiness to suffer harm, peaceableness with our brothers, a wholehearted love of the Lord, loving in Him what is of the Father, fearing Him because He is God, preferring nothing to Him who preferred nothing to us clinging tenaciously to his love, standing by his cross with loyalty and courage, whenever there is any conflict involving his honor and his name, manifesting in our speech the constancy of our profession, and under torture, confidence for the fight, and in dying, the endurance for which we will be crowned. This is what it means to wish to be a co-heir with Christ, to keep God's command, this is what it means to do the will of the Father. That reading comes from a treatise on the Lord's Prayer by St. Cyprian. And this is what it means to be a disciple, to be someone who follows after and loves the Lord. You'll notice that all of the things that he mentioned were intentions of the heart and actions of the body, of lifestyle. There wasn't a lot of emphasis on, on academics, and if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that I am not anti-academic. I love the academics, and yet I think that so often we, we tend to prefer the academics to the lived experience of the faith. We attend a Bible study for the knowledge of it and not so much for the things that it can produce within us. We, we love uh, to, to listen to podcasts or to studies or, or to whatever it could be for the knowledge that we can gain. And yet what we're called to as disciples is to a lifestyle of, of radical discipleship, of counting the cost and following after Christ no matter what. I'm not in any way saying that we should avoid those things that are uh, the academic, uh, but in the midst of those things, as we develop our knowledge, as we grow in that knowledge, we should also be dedicating ourselves to the practice of the faith, to seeking God's kingdom and his will to be done not just on earth as, as it is in heaven, but in our lives as it is in heaven, through our behavior as it is in heaven. Can we bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Would his will be done in the things that we do and the words that we speak and the, the, the places that we go on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the life of discipleship, not just study, but in a life that is formed after and molded into the image of God. And as today's guest, Jonathan F. Sullivan, put it uh, so beautifully, this is not the kind of formation that we can do by ourselves. This is the kind of formation that comes by living in community with others who are walking the same way that we are. So I encourage you this summer, take some time and, and identify a couple of people that you really want to walk in communion with, that you want to become a disciple with, and have them over for dinner. Do something to take that first step to begin that process of becoming a community of disciples and disciple makers. That's all the time we have for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's show is brought to you by a new patron, Marissa Alvarez-Pasos, and all of those who support the show through Patreon. 
You can be a part of that community by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking the link up in the top right corner that says support the show. You'll get extra segments and a whole bunch of other goodies. Until next week, though, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.